Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? Good, Ryan. Nice to talk to you today. Nice to talk to you today as well. And we are following up our discussion of Beyond the Pleasure Principle. Last time we covered uh, Freud text, we did a biggie and a smallie. Uh, we did a, 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 a highly regarded, uh, uh, very famous work, and then a lesser read, um, but not lesser work, to be clear. And today, right. we're talking about A Note Upon the Mystic Writing Pad, uh, which is uh, written, I believe, in 1922. Am I right about that? I think it's later. I think it's later. maybe written 24, published 25. So very wow. much later. Yeah, Very much later. So we yeah. spent a lot of time in the last episode talking about how seismic... Uh, beyond the pleasure principle was for Freud's thought that it right. um, opened up um, as uh, as I because we're going to talk about uh, Joan Kopchak who has a great take on uh, this essay a little bit later. Uh, Joan's great line that I've said n- numerous times on the show. It's not in anything she's published. So people always reach out to me and they're like, where does Joan say this? And it's <laughs> not in anything she's published. Um, although I did have someone reach out to me too, who had a line from um, I believe uh, from uh, I think Julia Kristeva who has, um, or no, sorry, who has a, is it Klein or, or Kristeva who has a book on horror or, or Kristeva, Kristeva, Kristeva. Okay. Powers I was right about that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Proverbs of horror. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, who has a line similar to, to Jones line, which is that psychoanalysis opens a wound to thought. So Kristeva says something in that, but it's, it's kind of close, but it's not, not exactly that, but, yeah. uh, yeah. Powers of horror. Very good. People should read it. Um, uh, so Jones, Jones line, psychoanalysis opens a wound to thought. The drive op- is a wound to Freud's own thought like that. This was basically our claim. That in was the previous our take. episode. Yeah. yeah, that was our take is that like he in, 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 in it, it upturns so many of his, uh, presuppositions, uh, so, so many of, of his assumptions and like, just like the, the working, uh, idea of, of how, uh, psychoanalysis should go. And, to the point that he kind of turns away from it and immediate and, and turns away from the idea of the drive being a topology, uh, or even an, an ontology, uh, right. for him. Um, and he immediately moves to another, um, to the, uh, ego id and superego as, as a structural theory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a great example of a text that should make reference to the notion of repetition and and drive that he had already explored and beyond the pleasure principle, but does not. Just does and not. So it just doesn't. So isn't it? It, it is could, uh, like this mystic. could be written in eighteen ninety five. Yeah, 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 yeah. It could be. Yeah. It could be. So that's so that's um how we're going to lead into this, which is that um the and this is an important thing to mention. We are going to talk about Derrida as well. It was a really great essay on this short essay of Freud's. Um. It is the the absence of the death drive is going to I think uh, eventually dominate our um, our discussion uh, and and uh, of this uh, work. But before we get there, Todd, what, what's the what, Todd? What's the Mystic Writing Pad? So the Mystic Writing Pad actually is a little toy mm-hmm. where you write on a transparent uh, what does he call it cellophane cellophane. Yeah. Uh, thing. Yeah. Like a transparent piece of plastic. Mm-hmm. Although there was no plastic when Freud was writing this. Uh, <laughs> but think, because the graduate hadn't is, been is made yet. Right. So, that's really but, funny. <laughs> so, uh, and then you, and beneath that, there's a uh, translucent piece of 
material that gets mm-hmm. marked on. And then beneath mm-hmm. that, there's a piece of wax that holds everything that, that everything is resting on, right? And so mm-hmm. at any point, so you can write on the top with a stylus and it mm-hmm. appears not on the top transparent layer, but on the second layer of, of material. And then whenever you want, you pull up both layers of material off the wax below and everything disappears and then you can write anew, right? And so mm-hmm. the only thing that stays is the thing that you imprint on the wax below remains. So, mm-hmm. so you get an imprint on the wax even and, and even when you pull up and make the upper layer a clean slate, the bottom layer does not, it does not undergo the same kind of cleaning process. Now, so when I was a kid, you said you barely mm-hmm. remember this, uh, when you were yeah, a kid, people you were who a kid. are, people who are my age or who are in like their, like their mid thirties, you probably played with this at the doctor's office right? while you're so waiting, you were, waiting to be brought into the little room. I, right. That's, if that's you were my, my, my so I'm in my mid fifties and, and mm-hmm. I, I, I had like multiple of these things cause they, mm-hmm. they quickly mm-hmm. broke. So there wasn't wax <laughs> below, but there was, yeah. especially because you rip it off too hard or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was like a little red stylus that you would write on with and, and, and you could write. And then, and then the only thing is it didn't, it did make an imprint in what was below, but it, you, you didn't really notice that. And which is, I, I, mm-hmm. I guess is actually to Freud's point because <laughs> Freud's whole idea is that this upper level is the mm-hmm. system he calls, and it's interesting, right? He's going back to, the terms he developed first in interpretation of dreams, right? Perception, yeah. consciousness, and unconscious. He calls them systems mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so the system of the transparency is the system of perception, consciousness, and I guess consciousness would be the second layer, right? Because the mm-hmm. things that get imprinted on that are are conscious, and then the wax below would be the equivalent, Freud thinks, of the unconscious. So things get imprinted on it, and they remain, mm-hmm. and yet you rip up the thing and then you have no conscious residue of that unconscious imprint. So that, so for him, he's like, I finally, I mean, he begins the essay saying, Oh, there's these great analogs for vision, you know, like glasses are an analog for vision and the, the little horn is an analog for hearing, but there's no real mm-hmm. analog for memory in our mm-hmm. technology. And then he's like, Oh, we invented this toy. Thank God. And it's the perfect it's the perfect one. And so he really thinks that this captures the relationship at least between perception, consciousness, and the unconscious. What's, I, I think, conspicuously missing, and we can talk about this later because when mm-hmm. we let's talk about maybe critiques of this, mm-hmm. uh, what's conspicuously missing is the pre-conscious, right? Like there's, it seems yeah. like mm-hmm. there's no place within this toy or apparatus for the preconscious, but nonetheless, like he, he's really trying to understand the relationship between perception, consciousness, what we take in, and then how it gets written into the unconscious. And there are things written in there that stay even when we no longer have a conscious memory of them. That's, I think, what his real, what he really likes about this toy is that idea, that, that there's things written into the unconscious that are no no conscious remainder at all of them Mm -hmm. yeah no it's it's really great and we spent all this time explaining the mystic writing pad which is variously referred to as the wunderblock or i love this in great britain the printinator 
uh, <laughs> there's this, yeah, this nice, um, this nice note by Strachey, uh, before in the standard edition, which says, uh, the subject matter of the paper will become much clearer if an actual specimen can be examined and dissected. So if I thought I, I, Todd's explanation, I thought was really good. Um, but if it's still like, cause I just think it's hard to hold in your head if you've never seen yeah. something like this. So it is worth looking up, um, the, uh, what with this mystic writing pad or the Wunderblock or the printinator and it'll make sense. Uh, and you'll probably be like, Oh yeah, I kind of played with a child's toy like that. Like that yeah. makes sense or you've seen it or, or, or whatever. So the, um, the whole idea, like at, at like the, in, and what we're going to, uh, move to it, which is, I think really fascinating is, is that this idea of how memory works is that there are these imprints, these, these, uh, uh, these experiences that leave marks, but then all that's left is the mark, but not the referent. And there are all these, all these traces, um, is it's a, it's a fascinating idea to, for, for him to get into. And it seems, uh, I would say like it's suggested by, um, previous, his previous inquiry into the psyche, um, that it has no, uh, reference to, I, I think beyond the pleasure principle, uh, and, is a, a kind of it's just, it's just sort of wild to to, to think about, but yeah. it, it's just he's trying to he's trying to come up with something like like he's even abandoned. I, I think it's funny. Like you said, there's no preconscious. The, so if you think about Freud as like moving from as people like to say, like he moves from different topologies. Like the topology here is uh uh what is it perception consciousness unconscious unconscious. So it's a triad, yeah. right? It's not even right. Except it's it's kind it, of a dyad because. Perception consciousness is one he only refers to it as one system, together, right? That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. 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 So so there's the it's, it's so it's I mean, not to be like too cute and meta about it. So even there's the the so you could do a couple things. You could say the uh like the the trace of uh, the preconscious is uh like the absence of it is is there as well as uh, as well as the absence of of the drive. And this is well, I think also the absence of yeah. the of what he's just developed, the id, ego, and superego. Right? Yes, exactly. Is not like there, he right, just that's wrote that. So mm-hmm. it's so yeah. weird, don't you think, Ryan? Like it's it's almost like it's either a return to interpretation of dreams or a return to the 1895 project for a scientific psychology, where he's talking about these two different types of neurons. There he's mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. material things, right? And here he's talking about the psyche. So it is different. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, you know, the system phi and the system psi, and he's like trying yeah. to think about the difference between them. So, yeah, he does. I, I mean, mean Derrida does, makes I mean, this point, even. Derrida makes the point. Yeah, yeah. It was a great, it's a great point by him to link it to the project, which Freud doesn't um, mention. Uh, like, I mean, he does, like, like Freud does literally mention Beyond the Pleasure, uh, just to be clear, because someone would read this and be like, what? He actually does? Like, he literally references uh, Beyond the Pleasure Principle, and he says, uh, I added a remark to the effect that the inexplicable phenomenon of consciousness arises in the perceptual system instead of the permanent traces, which is really funny, because I don't think anyone thinks that that's what he, that was his achievement in that work. Right, so it's, right. um, so he, he mentions expressly, uh, interpretation of dreams. He does have this, he's kind of like rewritten that what beyond the pleasure principle is about is how we understand conscious experience, which is a take, I suppose. Um, but I don't think a very, uh, 
I don't know, fair one. Right, and to himself, right? It's much more about the unconscious drive, right? I mean, we want to claim, right? Right. We would want to claim, yeah. Yeah. So that's, so, um, so that, it's it's interesting. It just it calls him back. So he sees this. It's 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 interesting, and it, it's I, I don't want to get too wrapped up in just making this as part of like a a narrative with um with beyond the pleasure principle. But it is very tempting that like again you could say the idea of the drive. It's just so like startling for him that he's looking for reasons to not think about it, right. and so he sees this toy, uh, and it brings him back to his first principles, which he's eager to maybe go back to and perhaps a maybe even like a nostalgic way it's we i I think we mentioned this the first time that um i brought this up i think it was me the first time was like way 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 back in the where to start where not to start episode is i i put this as a um as like a a a lesser known oh where to to start start. right yeah you did i remember that Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. To, to start with, with, with Freud because it ex- explains how he sees memory and, and and the psyche work, and it's like it's very there's a, an object, and it's really like especially for media studies, I think it's an important yeah text. Um, and, and it's easy to read. It's easy. It's easy right. to read. It's yeah. not. It's not long, and yeah. you you see what he's trying to do. Um, and it's all. It's also just nice that like uh, again, like as as you started with, like he's looking for a metaphor. So basically, like looking for something, and I think it's a very important psychoanalytic move. Looking for something that is outside, something that is other, to explain that which is like very uh, interior and intimate. And that is that phrase of uh, Lacan's that I that you and I both like so much that Lacan doesn't do enough with, which is like the extimate. So this is like an right. extimate object. Uh, you might say to put like a Lacanian. That's right. No, I think I think it's it. a really good point. Right, that 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 he finds he he finds an object that confirms the structure of the psyche, which is what he needs mm-hmm. to find. Right, like I think he yeah. I think he feels like if I don't find that, then there's something suspect about my theory because every yeah. other mm-hmm. operation of the body has this external analog to it, and I think he mm-hmm. thinks memory doesn't until we come to this, right? And so that's, mm-hmm. for him, it's really important. And then, you know, he, and the way he describes it, it's really, like, he, he loves that idea that, that, there, that, that everything is written on the unconscious, right? Like that, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. That, and that nothing is forgotten in the unconscious. And the thing, and it, yeah. but, but it becomes inaccessible. And I think that's what, he really likes, and I think, and I, what I really like too about this is the, you know, it's just an arbitrary act, and this isn't how it works mm-hmm. in real life. But I remember doing it like you write a lot, and then you're like, ah, I don't like the way this is going, and you just pull up the sheet, and then it's all gone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course, yeah. that, that it never works like that with the unconscious and in the psyche. But I think that's a nice, again, a nice metaphor for what's actually going on because there are these moments of rupture right where like all of a sudden like things are put like you've shifted your you've shifted the terrain and so mm-hmm. the unconscious remains but you're you're you've you're no longer what would you call it like your your weltanschauung your 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 way of looking at the world is completely shifted even though the unconscious is like you've ripped up the paper right and started again yeah. in some different way and i think well, what yeah Yo, yeah. What what I think is is, is it's super important about this too is I'm just gonna go back to my like um 
you know, where where you see one of these things in the world. And as I said, you, I absolutely played with one of these in the doctor's office. Uh, just, I don't know, for before any number of different like appointments that you have to do when you're a kid. And the thing that is all, it was always frustrating to me is that there were already impressions on the right. top. And so this, I don't know if this moves, moves us a little bit too far to a critique because I think he kind of reverses the, the, the idea that yeah. what's really, what's really fascinating is that it's the, the top sheet actually does a, a, a little bit remember the impressions. Right. Right. It's the top. It's the top that does because there are all these impressions, all these traces on it. But it it doesn't remember. It does. It's not everything. It's like you could always tell there was like some kid who just like pushed too hard. Etched. Yeah, pushed yeah. way too hard. But yeah. you don't. So you you have a little bit of it, but you don't have the rest. And so you have this. You have this trace of a of like again because he's talking about memory. So let's just say this trace of a memory, but you don't have the whole picture. You have yeah. you have some initial it's not even a sketch you just you just have pieces of a sketch and you you are completely missing the whole picture or whatever that what what else was being drawn and the 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 bottom like there's just there's nothing there like you could put the sheet back down and maybe it would pick up a little bit of that thing and that would be frustrating to you because because you were trying to draw something new and different but it remembers this other piece and so i um anyway so i find this i find that's really good yeah i think that he didn't think of, I mean maybe his his mechanism didn't do this but I imagine it did yeah. that and in fact you had to throw it away when the top layer got too marked up right like yes and so yeah. that couldn't really, make any new things you, you couldn't could, make yeah. any new things or, or they would get yeah. too um too slanted by what was already there so yeah yes. I think that's really that's a really great point about the way and isn't that I mean what's nice is that actually contributes to his understanding of how consciousness relates to the unconscious right like there are all mm-hmm. these little or that would maybe be a way to figure pre-con the pre-conscious into yeah. the structure right like there are all these little little uh indentations within mm-hmm. the that point toward the whole larger unconscious structure but don't give it to you right like that's mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. and i think that is the point right that you you can't it's not that the unconscious is completely gone. It's that it can only be accessed in, we've talked about it many times, right? Like the different forms, like the dream or the mm-hmm. joke or the slip or whatever, but that mishearing, yeah. the mishearing, right. And, and, and mm-hmm. like, or, or, or what you do that you don't, didn't mean to do, right? Like the, like yeah, the, yeah. like it's funny that Freud, I guess he does call that the, 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 the mistaken action or something like that. But, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that, but even the action that you intend to do, I think he thinks with Hegel, like that, you know, Hegel's line that the truth of the person is their deed. I think Hegel, sorry, I think Freud thinks the same thing that, you know, our mm-hmm. deed reveals something that what we intend isn't, that goes beyond what we consciously intend, and that's the unconscious, right? And so, mm-hmm. I think that, but all those in a very minimal, in a very minimal and minor way, the mystic writing pad captures that. Right, exactly, right, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. right. That and and, and and through these little, even I love what you're saying because the little marks on the top layer point mm-hmm. toward that unconscious structure in the same way that like a slip in which is conscious we it's a yeah. word that we say but it points mm-hmm. toward the unconscious structure too so i think that's pretty good mm-hmm. a nice little 
add-on to what Freud was was trying to do that he just didn't even see as an additional possibility for the device. Yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I mean that's that's how I, I how I like to to teach it and like to emphasize it because I I like I say I think he it maybe the toy was different. Like I you you were right to point out that possibility. It might have been different. Uh, when the one that he had and the one that sort of like I played with, but to me, like it just, it makes all, all, all the more sense that it's this, it's this top layer. I understand why he, he, he reverses it because he's, what he's trying to do is give a, uh, like a kind of a depth model right, of, of right. consciousness and unconscious. Right. And I think we're like, we're pretty consistent on this. Like, is that we not, not big fans of the of the depth model, unless what you mean by depth model is showing how there is depth on the surface. That's what that's right. how I approach right. so right. so much of this. And I think this essay understood in the way that like sort of I just proposed is a good example of that is that like you have again, you have these marks you have these and this is like kind of our big point with this. What the mystic writing pad shows you is how uh, our conscious experience and the way that the unconscious subjects us to. I don't know, memory or just traces of things before is uh, the making present of absences. And right. so that's how you can get depth on the surface. And that, uh, and, and that's, I think our, that I'd be right in saying that's like our approach to yeah. psychic life as, uh, as yeah. understood. Uh, no, I think that's uh, so great, Ryan, like that. And that really makes sense of what you were just talking about. Like that, that, that the, that the, the top layer is the unconscious, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah. It, and it's mm-hmm. through these little, the depth in on the surface that we, mm-hmm. that that's where the unconscious manifests itself, right? Like in the, in the thing that is said that wasn't meant to be said or, you know, all those things mm-hmm. like, and I think that it's interesting. I think you're right that he, I mean, this to me is, is the biggest weakness of the, setting aside the failure to in, include drive in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's that it's, it seems like it really sort of forces a depth model of the psyche on, mm-hmm. on the reader, right? Like it, it, yeah. it's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. very hard not to think that, oh, the unconscious is that thing buried deep within yes. and perception consciousness is on the surface and it's what, you know, that's what's, that's what, that's where we interact with the surface of the, and like, you know, this, like this phenomenon today, that's very popular of surface reading, right? Like it's a way mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. write the unconscious out of it because it thinks, yeah. oh, the unconscious is in the depth and we don't have to, we don't want to concern ourselves with that. Well, the point, like if you're really doing a surface reading, you're actually going to have to encounter the unconscious because the unconscious is what's at the surface, right? And I think yeah. that that's, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that Freud himself really that seems like more an idea that comes through late to, with look. I mean, I think it's implicit in what Freud says and, and throughout the whole theory, but I think mm-hmm. it gets more theoretically developed in Lacan and not so much in Freud. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, it's, uh, it fits if, um, I, like it's, it's so funny. Like I, 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 I think, Reading the text, I mean, in the way that we've positioned it, like all the times that Beyond the Pleasure Principle does come up, it's about like, um, it's about memory. It's about like, uh, he has this line. Yeah, perception. I showed that the perceptual apparatus of our mind consists of two layers of an external protective shield against stimuli whose task it is to diminish the strength of excitations coming in. And it's like, 
no, you uncover you discovered the drive. Right. That's what you did. That's what you did in that text. Right. Um, you didn't you didn't do this other thing. So, but um, if you take it, um, I mean, you can you can see why he also brings interpretation of dreams into this, and it's um, but he is maybe guilty. I think that you're right. He's maybe guilty of doing this this depth thing because the the like this surface re- if people aren't aren't uh familiar with surface reading is a kind of a move it's it's there's a, there's a lot of words being written on uh, why you should take things literally which i think is like too much effort perhaps right. To, right. with with right. that with that being the, the the take but the idea is that that there should be some there should be some pleasure understanding of like of uh, I, I don't know i i guess of immediacy which we have talked which uh i think anna Cornblue is the great um, critic of like this, the critic of that position. I think yeah. she really um, takes that whole project to task in her new book on Emmy. I mean, it's not published yet, but in her book on immediacy, yeah. I think surface reading is one of the villains of that book. Y- yeah. yeah, and she and she has a great response to a recent uh, Rita Felsky book uh, as well that 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 people I think is easily accessible online. It's part of like a cluster of responses to Rita yeah. Felsky's book. Um, but she's but the anyway, great I bring, uh, hero of surface reading. Just to be clear. It, y- yeah, Rita Felsky. And yeah. well, so anyway, I say all of this to say is that what um I I think Freud does unconsciously, uh, unconsciously perhaps give ammo to the people who say like see the idea is about a depth of meaning and content because he does go back to interpretation of dreams, which is often misread as this like guidebook to finding the uh like the truth is the is this like buried content when the idea is like the it's like the form and the shape of the the dream is the the thing that like one should pay attention to. Right. So, but I think like from something like this, and then maybe from other papers, it it is it's easy to build that um that notion of 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 psychoanalysis that it is it it's in it's it is invested in this like depth of content, this depth of meaning, this like that which lies beneath, and I think it's just. Um, I, well, one, I, uh, I don't, I don't think that he's intending that here, but I think that it's arguable, right? Like, well, just like because the, of the metaphor he chooses. Yeah, right? exactly. Like the, yes, yeah. that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I think that's the problem. And then, you know, but I do think, don't you think there is a genuine insight into why we forget? I mean, what he really wants to understand, he begins the essay with this mm. question, like, why do we forget? Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, mm-hmm. like neurosis is about this the primary kind of forgetting, which is repression. But then mm. he's also, I think what's, what's interesting is he doesn't really come back to, when he talks about the mystic writing pad, he doesn't really come back to the problem of repression. Yeah. Right? Like, mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I find that very funny. Like he's like, it's more as if he's trying to understand why we just forget in the everyday way. Right. Like, yeah, like yeah. I just, this morning I was just, I was, I, I was listening to a, like a, a, I don't know what a, like a YouTube thing while I was on the elliptical and, mm-hmm. and someone said the word défilé, like the, mm-hmm. which is the French word for a parade. I just happened to forget it. Right. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and like, why did I forget it? Because I haven't gone to, I don't, I, I when I, when I talk to people in French or when I think read French, I, I don't read about parades. Right. So, so okay, sure, it just yeah. like the, the sheet had been pulled up and mm-hmm. like Desile <laughs> did not stay on. Right. And so yeah, I think he's yeah. trying to understand that kind of the, that kind of banal forgetting in this essay. Yeah. But what's interesting is he starts out with 
the repression, the neurotic repression, right? So he doesn't. He never comes back to it. So I, I, I think that he, he, there is this attempt on his part to understand why we just forget things that are, you know, that 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 just that 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 are the, that that were once received, mm. and yet they're not. We just we just lose them. And I think what he what he's trying to say is every once in a while we we pull up the the sheet, right? And we just like, if, I mean, I, I'm sure it happens more gradually most of the time, right? Like you, you, you kind of like gradually lose one edge and then the other edge and then all, then all mm-hmm. the stuff that. Well, but uh, is it, is it, I wonder maybe is this is just too implicit or it's giving too much, too much credit to an idea that's would be very implicit here, but like I could see what he's orbiting around here is that, um, it, a, a banal fact of existence is forgetting right. and it just like, and forgetting. Cause you have to, I mean, this is even like, if you want to talk about things of like Freud as a scientist, like that he like understood and grasped. And like, now we just accept these as, as facts is that one of the things that you'll often see, um, I think in scientific writing, if, if, or, or in psychological stuff is that people always feel like they, they always have to deal with Freud. I, I would say like in quotation marks. Right. And one of the things is that like, Oh, it's not repression. You have to forget things. The brain has to dump things out because it's just too much to remember everything. Right. right. Like, you, and that, uh, of course, there are like, I'm sure that I saw like a 2020 where a woman was interviewed or a man was interviewed and they remember everything that happened in their life, you know, and they're asked questions and it's like this thing. But that's like purely exceptional. But like, what, like a very, again, mundane fact of existence is that like you just have to forget. You have to forget things because there's just too much that happens. And I think the point he's orbiting around is that like that like very that in, intrinsic and necessary function that drags down other stuff. So like it, it's, it's, it's uh, you have this, like this act of like a banal kind of forgetting that interacts with uh, a, a kind of tendentious mm, forgetting. There we go. Yeah. Nicely yeah. done. Yeah. So yeah. in that, and which would of course go back to his uh, interpretation of dreams and like the idea of, of condensation, whereas like, it's it's actually not so much like like it's not that memory adds up to make multiple things one things it's that like the forgetting drags together like um you know d- a disparate experiences and and ma- but makes them uh makes them together like like right. what he discovered as i've talked about before like what he discovers in the project for scientific psychology where he's talking with that um with uh, i think emma is her name and you know she goes to the grocery store and there she hears men laughing and she can't she can't do it it's in like so it's like the laughter at the store so it's this there's this banal kind of uh repression that is also tied together with the tendentious kind of uh forgetting that uh you is coupled with trauma and right. so it's it's you it's d- that it's that thing that he's he's trying to get at right i know i know it's isn't it tempting to say well you know that i mean the critique of freud is that he reads repression too far, right? Like he, he, he mm-hmm. extends the concept too far. Mm-hmm. Isn't it tempting to go the other way and yeah, say, of course. and say like, no, actually every, he allows for these other kinds of forgetting, but re- really, mm-hmm. in fact, what he should have said is every single time we forget something, mm-hmm. it's tied to the fact that it's, there's some connection to repressed material. Yeah. Right? Like it's yeah. tempting to, I don't think that's probably right. 
but mm-hmm. it is interesting. It's maybe too like, strong. But, yeah, it's probably yeah. too strong. But I think, because I think there are things that we forget. I mean, I think his theory is basically this. I think things that are traumatic are repressed, right? Things sure, that yeah. are too close to things that we've already remembered, we forget because mm-hmm. they're too, they just, they just become something else, right? Like, it, like you don't remember every trip to the grocery you've taken because they're just too similar, Right, just like they're just similar. they're just like you picked you bought the same kind of lettuce every time. <laughs> you just you don't yeah, you can't yeah. distinguish them because they're too mm-hmm. similar. And then there are things I think that he I think, so I think there's a third kind of forgetting for Freud where there are things that are just too they don't have any value for you at all. So you just mm-hmm. don't mm-hmm. you just don't remember them, right? Like you were you were going you were driving down the street and you saw someone you know, uh, whatever, like walking across and it just didn't mean anything to you. So you right, just, right. you just don't, why would you remember it? Cause they walked across it. Who cares? You just didn't. So I, I mean, I don't think, I think what I said was probably too strong. Cause I do think there are those other kinds of forgetting that don't have to do with repression that have more to do mm-hmm. with just insignificance, psychic mm-hmm, insignificance. Mm-hmm. And I think that in a way, but I think, you could say that he's trying to say that even those things that are insignificant are registered somewhere in the unconscious in this. Essay, yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that absolutely true. I mean, it's a great, it's a great point. It's like, um, you know, you like, I, I like in your examples, I, I simply could not remember all the times that I've started my day with the tea because it's like every day, but I can remember the days I didn't, right. you know, right. cause right. it's just very regular. It's like, you know, you, um, uh, like as, as a, you know, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, uh, currency on the, um, like this, this happens a lot in like uh, internet debates. There's a lot of currency for the exception. It's like, yeah, well, what about this one thing that's not included in the, all the examples that you have? Doesn't that disprove your entire thing? And it's like, if I, I like to say to you, you know, no, like nobody hits 700 home runs in baseball. Now that's not true because three people have, but if three people have, that means nobody does nobody it. And it's does like it. totally, right. and nobody right. does it. It's totally fine to say something like that. Right. So what, he, like certainly what he's like, what he's circling around is that like, uh, how, like amidst all this forgetting, like how, how does anything, how does anything even have the privilege of an exceptional status, psychically speaking? Right. Like 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 memory. And and also what it does is because if this is the way that excitations and experiences happen, where these there are these marks, these traces, and we lose like referent to them because we have this like this forgetting, then what it makes, and this is where I want to move our conversation to, it means that our experience of temporality though we perceive it to be linear, is actually highly discontinuous. Yeah. And he has this, this is like a, not exactly the last line, but it's almost the last line. Yeah, it is. Of the essay yeah. is, I, yeah, I further had a suspicion that this, or no, maybe I'll back up a little bit. No, uh, thus up. the inter- I'll back up a little bit. The interruptions, which in the case of the mystic pad have an external origin, were attributed by my hypothesis to the discontinuity in the current of innervation and the actual breaking of contact, which occurs in the mystic pad, was replaced in my theory by the periodic non-excitability of the perceptual system. It's a little jargony, so we'll work with that in a second. I further had a suspicion that this discontinuous method of functioning of the system perception consciousness lies at the bottom of the origin of the concept of time, which is a gigantic claim buried yeah. here yeah. that 
So what what he's saying is and he's that trying like to those... he's challenging Kant, right? Let's just to be clear, right? Like the, yeah. the statement. We'll say we'll uh, explain more. How is he? How is he challenging? Well, I think because then I want to make this connection. Right, to a like later for thing. Kant. Yeah, for one thing, Kant would never say the concept of time, which is a a, a different right. problem. Like it's a it's a form <laughs> of intuition, right? So that's a different mm-hmm. thing. Um, but I think Freud's just speaking, you know, in a, approximately when he says concept. Yeah. But anyway. Um, so for Kant, just like I just said, t- space and time are the forms of our intuition, and mm-hmm. time is objects he thinks that we are able to intuit are necessarily, Kant thinks, spatiotemporal, right? And so mm-hmm. that means that they exist in a continuous time, and that's why I said this seems like a very much of a challenge to Kant, because I don't think... Like what Freud is saying is, is that it's actually we are able to perceive time only because we experience time through its interruptions, right? Like mm-hmm. yes. that is yes. that seems like such a radical point. And you know, the the oftentimes when people say the word surrealism, they don't mean anything by it. But <laughs> I think this is the one case where linking psychoanalysis to surrealism does make sense. And if you think of surrealist films like uh, The Seashell and the Clergyman, which is a great film and I highly recommend, or The uh, Chien Andalou by, mm-hmm. uh, who's it by? Tell me really quickly. It's Dali and uh, Buñuel. And Buñuel, right. Uh, yeah. And and so like that, that, those films, like the temporality of them is so, like you're from, you're, you're like in one time and then you're in another time and they're just, and it's mm-hmm. really just, Exactly like what Freud says here. It's discontinuous. And, and I, I want to, and what yeah. makes it congruous, just to go back to, and I want you to pick up where you are, to go back to the dream thing, especially Unshan Andalu, which is, uh, the lesson is watch that if you haven't seen it. It's yeah. a, that's a classic, like, like film, film school, like film yeah. 101, yeah. kind of yeah. like people have seen it. But if you haven't, easily accessible on, on YouTube, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, what connects things is like, is form and shape, like right. in like specifically right. that film because the things that happen are just like are really disparate from each other yeah but there's this repetition of like a circle right and, there's a great uh, moment where there like this guy is looking at uh like some kind of i don't know like a box or and then like all of a sudden there are ants in his hand and so the connection yeah. is between like and it and you're right like it's only the form that makes the connection but mm-hmm. what and and that's the that's the I think the spatial dimension of what's happening. But mm-hmm. what's interesting is the temporality is constantly jumping, right? Like we only mm-hmm. experience it as discontinuous. And and I find like one of the most ideological aspects of Hollywood filmmaking probably is the way in which it uses cutting on action to create a continuous sense of temporality mm-hmm. and like a wholeness of the world and not mm-hmm. this cut up world that the mystic writing pad as a as a device or an apparatus or as a toy like actually reveals right because every mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. you flip up the thing you realize the disjunction of the experience and so i think in a way mm-hmm. there's something surreal about the mystic at least freud th- thinks that something surreal about the mystic writing pad in terms of the, the temporality it suggests Yes. And last thing on this, a really good uh, example. There's a uh, the episode in season two of Ted Lasso that centers on Coach Beard um, 
is is very surreal, but I I think has implicit reference to Andalu and it, it's it's wow. the, the moon and the circle. Yeah, it's there. Oh. It's that's like I the mean thing the famous part everything. of it of that film happens in the first minute, right? Uh, like, uh, yeah, uh, there's a, a razor blade cuts through an eye. It's very hard to watch. Obviously, it's it is hard the, to watch. It's the eye of a just a just so you of a you're assured that it's not a human being. <laughs> it's the yeah. it's the eye of a dead cow that gets. Oh, dead cow okay. gets okay. cut, but um, nonetheless, it doesn't make knowing that doesn't make it any easier. <laughs> doesn't make it to, any easier. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, it, just just to be to, to be clear, and it, uh, you just th- that I described that you would know this. It's a film about castration. I mean, that's all it's about. It's mm-hmm. a film about castration. Yeah. And in fact, the, I would. Yeah. I'm tempted to say that all surrealist films are films about castration because Cecil. Oh, that's uh, a good point. La Coquille, the clergyman, the Cecil, and the clergyman, same thing. It's like just a film about castration. So, yeah, and and like 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 un like unmooring your like your mastery basically. Like yeah, it's yeah, a question exactly. Of, uh, yeah, exactly. certainly. Exactly. I think that's a great. That's a that's yeah. a really nice point. Yeah. The it's so it's a um, anyway. So to which to, again is it kind this, of embracing yeah. the discontinuity of time, right? Yeah, like, that's, that's where I was going with this. Yeah, yeah. 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 So why is it that the, so I guess this is the thing is like our, I, I like to, to go back to my, like you, uh, you don't remember, <laughs> you don't remember the people who have hit 20 home runs in baseball, but you remember the, you know, the, it's, it's, uh, Babe, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron and Barry Bonds, 700. So, uh, like why is it, it's the, it's the exception that ties together the, uh, like un- really like utter discontinuity is the exception that makes an uh, a continuity out of out of this i think that's uh i think that's something that freud is trying to to puzzle like why like what what is the like um it, it's something that you and i talk about uh, uh, uh well sometimes we talk about it on the show but like i i one of the things i think is really vibrant and vital about psychoanalysis is as a uh, as a theory of like of everyday life and like of of, of like really like of things that are like so banal that they don't even like bother. We don't even think about them. Yeah. And I, and this, this is reflected in how so many of its insights, just so many of its greatest insights are just like, uh, like the air that we breathe. It's like, Oh, of course, when someone has a slip of the tongue, they say what they really meant. Just people just think that they never have to have read Freud to have thought that. Right. Like, you know, like, like there, there's so, like so many of the great insights become very banal and every day to the point that like to folks that are outside, it seems like there's nothing like new or anything to explore. But I think it's like something like this, like allows you to really puzzle out. Like it's the, so you remember the exception and does that allow you to forget because you have the exception yeah. and that like the exception makes constant, uh, continuous. It makes congruous that which is incongruous. So like the exception actually rescues you to go back to the surreal film. It actually rescues you from yeah, castration, from right. accepting castration. Yeah, I think that's I, I, right. I find that fascinating. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's such a great point, I think. And I think, you know, like what he's saying here in this, this, these final, again, they're not the final two sentences, but they're these, the it feels final, like it. yeah, it does feel. It feels like he didn't end it soon enough. It's, which is, of course, uh, I, I mean, that's another whole other point that I think we should talk about, like that what this has to say about endings and and, mm. and what the ending has to say. But I, I, I do think that his point is that the unconscious, and I think this is a point that often gets lost when people talk about the unconscious, is the unconscious doesn't register temporality right like so something mm-hmm. that gets yeah. imprinted on the unconscious when you're two has mm-hmm. just as much power as something that's imprinted on the conscious when you're 42 right like there's no mm-hmm. it's not like something and i think this is 
to me, this is one of the great insights of psychoanalysis, that it's not like time, you know, time doesn't heal the wound, right? Like mm, you could always yeah. go back to it and right. re-experience re it as if it's fresh, right? Like mm -hmm. as if it's totally fresh. Like, so the Bengals lost the Super Bowl, right? Like that was a trauma yes. for me. And mm -hmm. my brother, um, who's going to listen to this, he, he hey, texted me, he texted me uh, like two weeks afterward, maybe, I don't know, but I had just started to be able to sleep through the night Valium aided. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, kidding. to get to sleep at yeah, all. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just keep going. So, and, and he texted me um, Jamar Chase was wide open on the last play. No. And, then, and I, I got that text at like, I don't know, 10 30 <laughs> at night or whatever. And then just so, no, that night I was just like, the, the trauma was as fresh as if it was still whatever the Sunday night was of the game. So, so mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. That ability, I think that, you know, that's a, not, that's only a couple weeks, obviously, or a week, whatever. Sure. But I think Freud's point is it, it can be decades, right? And it doesn't matter yeah. because the the point is that it, the unconscious doesn't have that experience of temporality instead. And this is, don't you think that's fascinating too, that, mm -hmm. that, that it totally, if you think about that the surrealist film is trying to show the discontinuous nature of temporality, then that mm -hmm. whole thing that surrealism is just trying to get direct access to the unconscious, that would be false, right? Because yeah, the right, unconscious right. isn't about discontinuous time. It's about no time. And right, we right. have, Freud's thesis here is that we have a discontinuous sense of time because of the way in which percept the, the he says the discontinuous method of functioning of the system perception consciousness, right? Like that's yep. the, that, that, that we're not always activated in our perception and consciousness of things, but unconsciously we're mm. always activated, right? Like we're like mm -hmm. when we're asleep, when we're whatever zoning out, it doesn't like we're yeah. always unconscious, I don't know, stoned whatever. We're always unconsciously <laughs> activated, but our perception consciousness might be not, might be not functioning. Right. So I think that, and that's, the source of time, like time, actually comes through this discontinuing discontinuity of perception mm -hmm. consciousness. It's a um, the unconscious uh, bringing it and bringing this whole thing to temporality. It is it allows for uh, an impossible impossible congruities to to emerge. Like that's the like that's the I think the um, that's like the whole thing. Like the the present absence, the discontinuity that feels like sensible and continuous right. like how right. how does this how can how that have possibly be right yeah right. right yeah i think that's great i there is a um when i was a kid uh or or like i don't know uh middle school high school um there was this this ah, gosh the coolest band to be into for a little bit you know what you've heard of them i uh and i don't maybe think this I as, a, as a slight i don't think so they're called Groovis malt do you no, hear about I them never no i know yeah. yeah okay so they had this song that I want to reverse. They they had this song that um that like my friends really listened to, and I don't remember if this was the refrain or if this was the name of the song, but it was uh, only the scar. Oh, sorry, even the scars forget the wounds, and I think wow. psychoanalysis says it. Yeah, I think I think it's the other way around. Is that other the other way around? Right. right. The wounds the wounds forget the scars, but forget the wound the, <laughs> the wound remains. You know, like yeah. you know, you yeah. forget forget the scar, the wound, the wound, uh, the wound sticks around, and it and it reintegrates right. itself, uh, in in different ways. It finds right. different ways to like 
to uh, articulate to itself. Yeah, right? yeah, to yeah. articulate itself. Yeah, to qu- to quilt your conscious experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's yeah, that's pretty. That's right. That's I mean, good. I, it's funny that you said that word about quilting because I think that that like he, you know, he had no conception of Lacan's point de capitaine quilting point, but it does seem like there would be a real way to theorize the lifting of the of the pad. Yes. With yes. you're quilting a moment, right? Like you're, you, th- that's mm-hmm. the moment where you're punctuating the sentence. Yeah. Like the Lacan's famous punctuation of the, of the session. It's like when you're lifting, okay, now we're going to lift the pad and you can go out and start your new, the, whatever. Yeah. I, I, I'd said this to you before, before we recorded it. It's obviously it would have been quite a lot for him to have come up with quilting point in this essay, but you can see logically how he could have gotten there. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it, it's, it's really, really interesting. Like, and I think that's, um, uh, yeah, I think, well, um, I don't know how much we want to talk about, uh, 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 Derrida at the, uh, well, at uh, let's point. talk about Derrida, but yeah. I want to first, we, we have a little Joan Kopchak moment, right? I think that we oh, should, yeah. because we're, well, because, like here he so in toward the end of the essay he's clearly talking about kantian tempor kantian temporality right and in the sense mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. of 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 time as the formal structure of our intuition but then mm-hmm. as joan pointed out at least you told me joan i didn't hear her point say this but go ahead no you, you it's it's incredible yeah it's incredible i mean this is like i um i could not have passed off this uh this insight as my own i i it would never have occurred to me so freud um there's in the standard edition, there's what is it? It's 23, 24 volumes. Yeah, twenty third uh, volume. There's the twenty fourth is a index or whatever. Index. Okay. All right. Yeah. So in the twenty third volume, which has, um, I mean, some some works we'll probably talk about uh, some other time. Like yeah, I think the outline of psychoanalysis term- is there, right? And and outline and terminable Moses, and interminable. Right? Yeah. What's that? Yeah, is absolutely. Moses? And yeah. then Moses and monotheism. Yeah, exactly. Which would be the biggest one. And then those yeah. uh, those two other, which are um, which are great. Um, but there's this collection of just like notes in, in a, in a section called shorter writings. And I just like, uh, so her, her, her take, um, is that, uh, Freud inherits, uh, German idealism, but, uh, Kant, but Kantian German idealism. Right. Not Hegel, not Hegelian. Certainly not Hegelian. And, and, uh, and he extends this important word later. He extends those insights. And so, I didn't like, like no who who but Joan Kopchak is going to think to take a look at uh, page three hundred and volume twenty three of the uh, of the standard edition. But there's because um, this you can't even buy this uh, collected as a little book. Right, it know, doesn't like exist these, these, anywhere. Right, only here. Yeah, Nort. Right. Yeah, Norton doesn't have this. So like because uh, it's it's so under here, findings, ideas, and problems. Right, like it's like, right. And they're all just little jottings from different all these different times. But yeah. My yeah. my desk is covered in 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 yellow post-its and uh it it basically would be like privileging these scribbles to to this sort of thing. So anyway, so she looks at this note uh in a class like August 22nd. Uh, we went over um in a class I took with her, we did Mystic Writing Pad and we did uh, Derrida's essay which she likes a lot. I think we like it a lot too though we we have some quibbles with just like we have quibbles with Freud on like his his positioning in, in the essay like right. we have some quibble with with Derrida's as well but this is a, a connection that she makes. He's so Freud has this note, I'm sorry, I've been uh, ju- juicing this up perhaps too much now, but he he writes this. Um space may be the pro- projection of the extension of the psychical apparatus. No other derivation is probable. Instead of Kant's a priori determinants of our psychical apparatus, psyche is extended 
knows nothing about it. Right. And uh, for she ties this to the the end of Mystic Writing Pad, like that. This is was perhaps a note of a of a potential for Freud to expand on the project that he began uh, in Mystic Writing Pad, and I think it's just it's like pretty incredible. Um, connection and it's a beguiling set of uh three sentences so we're gonna try to work this through what what's the what 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 are you what are you taking from this well i think that he's trying to say that kant's forms of intuition right like that that instead of thinking of them as logically determined that we should Mm -hmm. think of them as psychically determined so that's nice. that's where mm-hmm. he gets to the and 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 if we do that then we're going to think of time and space differently. I think that's what he mm-hmm. so we're going to think of time as discontinuous not as continuous. Kant thinks it mm-hmm. has to be continuous. And mm-hmm. we can think of space as actually the way in which the psyche is structured, right? So and, and then he says instead of Kant's a priori determinants of our psychical apparatus, psyche is mm-hmm. instead extended. And then he says, I think the key line of this whole thing is knows nothing about it. Yes. Agreed. Right? Yeah. Like that, yeah, that, Joan that, emphasized that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So so like because for Kant, he thinks we're perfectly aware that our intuitions are temporal and spatial. Right? Like we're mm-hmm. perfectly aware of that. But I think what Freud's getting at is there's a spatiality to the psyche that we mm-hmm. cannot be aware of. Instead, mm-hmm. we perceive mm-hmm. it as external and, and, and don't grasp it as the structure of the psyche, right? And I think that that's, I mean, you might even say that this gets at the whole way in which the inner contradiction expresses itself as an external opposition, right? Like the... Mm. Nice. You know, like that, 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 the, just to take a current example, right? Like that the mm-hmm. internal contradictions of the Russian socioeconomic system have to mm-hmm. manifest themselves in this external, in order to not overwhelm that psychic structure of, of the Russian collective psyche, they has to express themselves mm-hmm. in the, seeing an enemy of in the Ukraine, right? And like they're a, neo, yeah. a government mm-hmm. filled with a Jewish leader who's a neo-Nazi, right? Like that's a, mm-hmm. so, so I think that that, I mean, that's just a stupid example, but like the, the point is always that like, I think once you see that space is psychic, that it, mm-hmm. it comes and that we can't know that it is and that it comes, that it results from a certain psychic relation then I think you're mm-hmm. you're uh, you're gonna hopefully I mean I hopefully right like Freud's idea would be you can change the way you relate to things that seem external to you. Yeah, and I mean, and and being uh, I think that's the and then you you couple this with as we referenced I don't know, like twenty twenty minutes ago you couple this with the insight of the estimate which is like the you know the you that is most of you is outside of you right um right. like you you can snap those ideas into um into relation and so like i mean it makes sense in in and 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 the the idea of the idea of of freud being like inheriting kant i think is a good one because he i like doesn't reference hegel even a single time is that that right to say i think there are two references one is in a in a in a discussion of marx and he just briefly and the other one is just He's it's they're both notes and the other one is just kind of like, you know, hey, but it's they're both like clear he hadn't read them and they're just yeah. Hegel's just a name for something. 
but yeah. okay, it's just a name for something. So yeah. this, so but Kant he does bring up because he's red. He's clearly red he's red Kant. Kant yeah, uh, clearly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna make. Uh, I think that there's room here to make a very Hegelian point with what uh, Freud is proposing, which is that like, a, if we have if if we have a d- discontinuous relationship to time it's because we are discontinuous so like it, it it's another way of putting like this not just like a split as uh you know we've talked about with with hegel and the um phenomenology of spirit like seeing that like why is the why is the object split because the subject is split and the subject is split because the object is split it's the only way that we can have like a relationship with objects like the same object but have a different relationship with it it's because we're we're split and the so like the object is too it's not whole w-h-o-l-e if we have a discontinuous experience of time, that's weak as we are discontinuous as, uh, as well. And like, it's this, it's on, 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 on the axis of the split. That's something like psychoanalysis is necessary for understanding, uh, experience just, right. just in, in, in the world. So what do you think of that? I think it's, I think it's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yeah. I think, I think right. Like that, like, and and I think I mean psychoanalysis seems uniquely qualified to to get access to that kind of split, right? Like I think, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. just I think it's just perfectly perfectly put. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you always yeah, tell so, me I'm blowing blowing my best insights on on this podcast. No, I love doing. Yeah, it. it's my favorite thing because I, I write them down because it's just so I'm such a parody of myself. I got to write them down after and then like think about writing something about it two years later. And I know that it takes you about two minutes. So, um, the, the, I mean, that's a pretty good spot. Do we, so we want to talk about Derrida. What is, yeah, let's what talk is about it? Derrida. Is, Cause I think yeah. it, it's worth talking about because, so the, the essay is in, uh, writing and difference. And I think it's called Freud and the scene of writing. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. and he likes this essay quite a bit because, well, first of all, Freud, sorry, Derrida goes through, he begins, as we said earlier, he begins with the project for scientific psychology, goes through interpretation of dreams, and he's thinking about the way writing manifests itself in Freud's work, right? And 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 mm-hmm. Derrida's investment in writing is over spe- like he's a. This is going to be for anybody that knows Derrida's going to be an obvious point, but Derrida's <laughs> critic critical of what he calls logocentrism, right? And so it's it's a it, it's a it's a kind of putting the putting the word as spoken prior to writing because writing introduces absence and loss and death right and he thinks that mm-hmm. speech because it has this illusion of pure self presence that it doesn't allow for the acknowledgement of death so he's basically it's a kind of interesting link to Heidegger and being towards death that he doesn't mm-hmm. fully develop in, except in his book on Heidegger a little bit. Um, but I think that that, uh, so, so anyway, so, so he sees a lot of promise in Freud as, especially in this essay, giving us access to what is, it's funny, he doesn't, he says it's not what is repressed, but what is the basis for all repression, right? Which is, mm-hmm basically mm-hmm. the repression of writing, right? Because, mm-hmm. because the priority of speech is the repression of writing, which is basically, I think, for him, the repression of death, 
right? And that's mm-hmm. so, so that, so he thinks that by uh, turning to this metaphor, we get, Freud actually is really reintroducing writing back into his understanding of the psyche. And so he really, really celebrates this essay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's a great, like, uh, this is, this is again, part of what Joan emphasized about it as like, like for, for her, this was the, like this like skeleton key, um, connection between psychoanalysis and Derrida. And like, there are other texts of, like we talked before about like the Portland letters. I mean, I've, uh, the, is the thing that I wrote on Derrida, is that with, with Derrida? I think this is in the, this, the essay that I, I published at, um, Continental Thought and Theory. I think the Derrida V. Lacan thing on, about, uh, Pearl and Letter is there. Um, and I know that I've talked about it on the show before. Yeah. Um, so he has, he does in other texts have a, a like a vexed relationship with specifically Lacan. But more um, Lacan than Freud, right? More Lacan than Freud. But yeah, right. for Joan, this was super important. And I think it's, it's, it's a nice, uh, her point was that like it's a connection that is has kind of fallen out of favor. Uh, it's connecting Derrida to psychoanalysis, but this would be the text to go to go to to um, to to take a look at that um, that grounding. Now, of course, like he he put he he um, pushes back. I mean, like you could even just take from the you don't have to even think about what he wrote there, but you could even think from the the principles that, of that he's trying to introduce about like you know writing and, and 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 absence and pushing back against ideas of like speech and presence. You could see how like the entire analytic method would be something that Derrida would have a problem with because right, it is entire right. it's entirely premised on on speech but it, it is also like I, I think you'd say like it, it where this does interact i think positively for derrida is is about how you can i think this is the psychoanalytic position on speech is that like even when you are speaking you are absent like i well, think that's right, the right yeah right, right. I, I which i think he would like actually yeah right if he yeah. thought that psychoanalysis thought that he would yeah. like that i mean i think he really doesn't like this notion of the unconscious being eternal even though he never speaks to that critically, but I mm-hmm. think he doesn't like, like, he likes the idea that the, that there's a trace left. He loves that word, the mm-hmm. lut. Love it's it. the same word yeah. in English and French. Um, the, he likes the idea of the trace being left on the wax, right? And, mm-hmm. but, but for him, the trace isn't what resists time as it is for Freud. Instead, the trace is what is temporality, right? Like the trace mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. writing and writing is what doesn't deny time, unlike speech. That so, mm-hmm. so writing is sort of when you write, you give yourself wholly over to temporality. He thinks because mm-hmm. there's no present or origin of the right. Like the act of speech is a presence that writing mm-hmm. doesn't have. There's no the act of writing always is it's deferring itself, right? Like it's never mm-hmm. it's never this this one point. And I mean, it's interesting that writing does last so there is a way in which yeah, yeah there's something he, kind of... he doesn't really get into that so much but but uh uh but anyway so finally he the point that he's so that's one point where he's slightly critical of freud the other point is is where he's he thinks that freud doesn't fully give himself over to the machine right like that there's mm-hmm. still some I, I guess he, he, what does he say? He's like, Freud's still part of the metaphysics of presence. This is a, mm-hmm. a Derridian jargon term that is really important to him, that that he thinks the entire Western metaphysical tradition was invested in 
some pure presence, and he thinks Freud mm-hmm. is too because he doesn't give himself over totally to the machine, but thinks that there's this human. There's a, he has to break from the metaphor and hold on to some human thing that stays the same that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. can't be that can't be reduced to this pure machinic machine-like functioning. And I think that that's the, that's, that's his deconstruction of, that's part of his deconstruction of Freud. It's interesting. What I, what I'll say, so like, I, I disagree with that take of his, but what it does point out, and I think this is valuable is, um, Freud's a, abandonment. I mean, we kind of said this, but without saying the word, his abandonment of repetition in the essay itself, because yeah. I think, because I think that answers Derrida's critique. If like I think this is what we're, we're we were trying to do is to br- to bring because he taught he referenced like three times he references beyond the pleasure principle yeah but does not talk yeah. but his take his take on his own work has nothing to do with repetition compulsion which is uh and the phrase that Lacan prefers for repetition compulsion is automatism and this is like so like the whole idea of like the like like machine equality of uh. Of, of the subject um, is sometimes taken from Lacan's preference for that. I mean, this is, that's whole, um, uh, oh, why am I forgetting his name? Gramophone film typewriter. Uh, oh, Kittler. Who, who, Kittler. Yes, Frederick that's Kittler. right. Yeah. That, yeah. Frederick Kittler. Yeah. That's like, so he goes in that direction. But anyway, if to, to put, and it's easy to see where it is, like anytime, any, I guess I would put it this way. Anytime that, that Freud is talking about his own evaluation of what was important and beyond the pleasure principle. If you just don't read what he writes and instead you t- think about repetition compulsion, I yeah. think it start it begins to answer um, Derrida's critique. It does. It is interesting, right? And then and then, but it also changes the problematic, right? Like like for mm. and I think this is this it, it kind of and I think Derrida has to in the end dismiss Freud, right? Because mm-hmm. like isn't the and and Hegel and too for the same reason, like isn't mm-hmm. because isn't for Freud the fundamental problem that we're caught in repetition and not that we're stuck confronting death. Right. Like I, mm-hmm, I think that, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, obviously they're both the, the problem, but, but it, mm-hmm, what's mm-hmm. interesting is that Hegel and I mean, Freud, I think does is concerned with death in a certain way. Although there are times when he says that the fear of death is nothing but the fear of castration, right? Like he does, mm-hmm, he does mm-hmm. say that. So there is a yeah. sense in which he just would be dismissive of, Heideggerian, Derridian claim about that. But I do think like that that I would put it this way, that that for psychoanalysis, the problem is enjoyment and and the end of enjoyment. And that's why death mm-hmm. is a problem. Whereas mm-hmm. for and 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 the way that enjoyment is wrapped up in repetition, and for Heidegger Derrida phenomenology, it's all about temporality. And mm-hmm. and that's why. Heidegger comes to like this confrontation with death because that's where temporality leads to. So I think that it it seems to me like there's just two fundamentally disparate ways of approaching things, right? That where Mm. you see the fundamental, like for Freud, it's like this fundamental problem is that we can't get out of this repetition. And for Mm. Derrida, nothing repeats at all, right? Like there's a radical temporality of of our experience that we're using concepts to basically try to master ineffectively mm-hmm. right so i think that i think that the, so i think in the end derrida almost undersells how distinct and and far from freud he really is 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, it's also like you make the connection. I, I, the, I always like to kind of um, bring it back to this, this, this one point between Derrida and Lacan, which is that like the difference between the two of them is that like for Lacan, there is quilting point. And then for Derrida, there is not, but it's also arguable that not even for Lacan is there quilting point because he just, he just abandons the idea. Um, and except he does, he does, he does invent the short session, right. in the punctuation there. So there, so he does preserve it in that way, but that's true. So it becomes, but theoretically you're right. But theoretically, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, and then that makes it a nice pair with this, which we are, which we already said, um, mystic writing pad, um, could have also, you know, it could have introduced Freud's notion of a uh, quilting point. Like it's, it's, it's right there. It's sort of like sort of implicit. So I think uh, Derrida is like where his pushback is, is he's sensitive to Freud arguing that. And he just, he, he, he refuses. And I also think that, um, Derrida is sensitive to the potential alternate title to a note upon the mystic writing pad, which is being in time. Uh, <laughs> and which, which I, I think is the the point of the, uh, the essay and it's kind of the reason why we talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I think he does. Right. Which is what I was saying, right? Like, I think that he, he thinks that like Freud doesn't, like Freud's actually trying to explain away temporality, not trying mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. say, not trying to get us in touch with our authentic temporality, right? No, and no, I no, think, no, 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 absolutely and, not. Because he, because he emphasizes. I'm sorry to interrupt, but just he's emphasizing the discontinuity. Right. So like he's not, he's not trying to, he's not trying to put us, put us in touch with like a a more linear and pure experience of time. It's it's just like he's trying to alert us to how broken it is. And yet, despite it being so broken, we still have this sense of it. Like that's the whole, and that's the whole idea of quilting point. It's like, yes, words can mean so many different things in so many different contexts. And yet you have an approximate understanding of other people like all the time. And so we like, we still do that. Like, so that's the, and that's the, that would be like the Freudian, like Lacanian thing that would be against the Derridian and I guess Heideggerian. Heideggerian point. Right. I think that's right. I think it's right that, that, that in the, like, the question is like, just to put it in a kind of a nutshell, like, is it, is death, is death traumatic in itself or is death traumatic because it marks the end of our enjoyment, right? Like that, Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. that I think is the difference, right? Like, like for psychoanalysis, it's the latter, right? Like the trauma of death, it's because we're confronted with the end of our enjoyment. And if, and, and that's why I think it's, if it's if people don't feel any enjoyment, it, they 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 don't have any problem with death, right? Mm. Like they just mm-hmm. kill themselves. Like it happens all the every day, right? It's not an exception. It happens all the time because they don't they they like feel my life is bereft of enjoyment. Okay, right. So mm. I think that I think that at least that seems to argue that death isn't the ultimate trauma. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, that's, I, I know you've talked about some people who are close to you who, who, uh, who, who, ha- that, who killed themselves and that, that seems to ring, uh, very true, uh, as well. That's, that's a, it's a very, that's a very interesting point to like, it, it's almost like the, um, the way, uh, the way death figures in psychoanalysis like that is, um, is more is is more literal than uh than metaphorical which is maybe something you could say 
uh, like I, I think Derrida and maybe Heidegger think they're really thinking about it, but I think that the claim would be you're you're not if you're if you're right. Not. Maybe you're like turning yeah. it into something. Yeah, maybe maybe. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, but our, our our lesson you already gave it away. It's, Did I? it's definitely see watch if you haven't seen Ancien Andalou, which is a great film. Mm. And but I'm going to add another one because yeah. I think it's another great surrealist film. Is the sea? It's the La Coquille le Clergyman or the Seashell and mm. the Clergyman, which I think is actually better than the Dolly and and uh, Buñuel film. But but it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's, a, it's by Germaine Dulac, so it's by a woman, so, and it's and mm-hmm. it's so it, it's but it's it's uh, it's also silent. All the great surrealist films are silent. Um, mm. But it's got a lot. It's got a lot going on. They also all seem to come from France for some for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that also uh, Maya Darren? Right, Meshes of the Afternoon. That's a little bit later. Than, it's a little uh, later. Yeah. 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 Uh, that one's hard to find with the um, original soundtrack. There's like a whole thing about this. Like you, oh. you, you can't get. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like the the only place to to get that. I think there's like a Vimeo. Like you gotta go. I, I went on a whole thing on this mesh of the afternoon is also really good uh i, I would i would recommend okay uh, but excellent. that's uh, but that's um yeah you, you can you can get you get in a little rabbit hole trying to find so all these uh, ways we can you could get the disjointed uh sense of time from freud mm-hmm. so. and the impossible congru- congruities that emerge within that that's right that's right over and out ryan over and out todd <laughs>